Welcome to The 12th Story, a podcast from the Mercantile Library where readers gather to connect, debate, and discuss. The Literary Center of Cincinnati, The Mercantile, is a 183-year-old working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. The library organizes book discussion groups and writing workshops and welcomes thousands every year to its author talks, lectures, and other civic events. Harriet Beecher Stowe and Herman Melville, Colson Whitehead, and Zadie Smith all have spoken at Mercantile events. Located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati, we always welcome new members and guests. You belong here. I'm Hillary Copsey, book advisor at The Mercantile. We're talking today about There There, the award-winning debut novel by Tommy Orange. Set in modern-day Oakland, the book tells the story of several people making their way to the big Oakland powwow. Orange is a graduate of the Institute of American Indian Arts and an enrolled member of the Cheyenne and Arapahoe tribes of Oklahoma. He's created a book that is both funny and heartbreaking as it considers family and memory, identity, violence, and recovery. With us today to talk about this book are Jerry Neary and April Hester of the Greater Cincinnati Native American Coalition. Jerry and April, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before we get into the book, I wanted uh, each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves and the Greater Cincinnati Native American Coalition. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, my name's Jerry Neary, um, and I've lived in Cincinnati for about 15 years. I'm originally from out west. My family is from Four Corners area, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, uh, Utah, in that general area. So um spent a lot of time in the military and uh, when I got out of the military I just traveled around looking for work and found Cincinnati and it's just become my home the past 15 years. Yeah. Uh, my name is April Hester. I am a member of the Muscogee Nation. I was actually born in Norman, Oklahoma and um, I moved here with my family about 23 years ago and um, I've, I've been in and out of Cincinnati on the Northern Kentucky side. I've been down in Louisiana. Um, I've lived in Texas a little bit, but um, mostly, mostly I've been in Cincinnati. Um, so it's been yeah. really nice. And when, how long has the Greater Cincinnati Native American Coalition been around and, and how did it get started? Um, so we've been around for, I would say, about five years. It actually got started when the question was brought up by the, by the city of Cincinnati about um, abolishing Columbus Day and what that would look like and creating an indigenous people stay and having that conversation. The city um, asked the Native community about what we would what we thought about that um and so the greater cincinnati native american coalition grew from that movement um and we spent time uh creating the uh the resolution that was introduced to city council um in 2015 and we spent three years trying to push that through and eventually we did get a uh, indigenous people's day uh, that resolution passed here. That must have felt really good to finally achieve your goal there. <laughs> it did. I was surprised um, by the by the political process, um, and and I think we were fairly naive to that, fairly new to that. Um, yeah. It's a lot of politics and getting stuff passed through city council, as with anything else. But we're we're figuring it out. Yeah. And are there specific projects you're working on now? We have a. A number of projects. Um, and some of them are educational. We're working with different 
um, educators throughout the um, greater Cincinnati area on lesson plans for teaching Native American history, um, culture, and, um, and also letting people know that we are still here. Um, I, think, I think we've kind of been at this place in our education system where we keep Native people in, in the past. And um, we're really trying, trying to change that. Um, so we have a number of educational projects, including different workshops and, um, and working with educators on curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's a really great segue into the book because that's really what this book is kind of talking about, right? The, oh, the yeah. idea of, um, you know, the fact that Native Americans are in fact still part of the American society, that we're, they're, you're here. Um, and the history is something that the book actually starts with, that prologue. It, it kind of traces from the very beginning Native Americans here. Um, how, how did that, that prologue, why do you think he began the book with that? Well, I think all, all cultures start with history. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a part of us and it, it, it makes us who we are. And without acknowledging our history and our past, um, we, you know, we can't continue and we, we have no room for reconciliation without understanding our past and also looking at our own identity. Um, a lot of this book is talking about Native identity and understanding our past as part of that. Yeah, and that prologue really, um, I mean, it, it doesn't always square up with the things I was taught in my history classes, right? right? To your point about leading workshops for educators. I mean, the idea of manifest destiny that's told from the white perspective that we were going to go out West and it was a great, wonderful thing. But this prologue is definitely told from the native perspective that as these settlers came in, this was not a good thing for us. Right. Um, right. so uh, it, it kind of set the stage, uh, for, for kind of where we are here to your point about not being able to move forward if we can't know where we were, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you teach these workshops with educators, um, what kind of reaction do you get from uh, from students or from from teachers themselves about? Well, I think I think there's a lot of educators who have realized for a long time that that this is missing. Um, so I think we have a lot of people who are coming to us wanting to make these changes. And, and this being the native perspective? Or? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, I think kind of shifting the focus and shifting um, that perspective really makes a huge impact on students and, and really all people because we're realizing, okay, you know what, maybe what we've been taught our entire lives um, is, is wrong. Mm -hmm. And we need we need to have that that questioning going on, and um, and we have been, and we have educators who are asking those questions and 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 asking us to be a part of that change. That's helpful. And I think a lot of the discussion, the discussion is happening now. The discussions become relevant. The discussion has become something that that people want to. Um, talk about whether, you know, regarding history and that uh, reconciliation um, and what that looks like. Um, but reconciliation, even the word reconciliation, it, 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 
it speaks about that at one time things were good and, and then things got bad and right. we're trying to get back to that. But things were never good for us. So there's that conciliation that we have to have because there was never a good time and there's always been two histories with us. There's been the history that contemporary society that they need to look at and that they need to believe so that they can move forward every day, get up and brush their teeth and go to work and go to school and live their lives. And then there is the history that, that we live every day you know, and that is being a part of a, uh, being part of that invisible society that lives on the fringes of, of contemporary cities, of contemporary communities. And we've always, we've always been here, mm -hmm. you know, but we know that history. I know the history of, it's always a history of hiding and being quiet and not, and, and traveling, you know, um, and, and just not getting absorbed, not becoming a part of, of what is contemporary society. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Orange is trying to get at that kind of invisible society and like the struggle with identity in this book. I mean, he talks about the, the concept of an urban Indian. What mm -hmm. does that mean, right? Like, and how does that square up with the, the, the image of an, of an Indian in our culture, right? Which is the, the very visible image of an Indian is, you know, mascots and old Westerns and those sorts of things. To your point, um, April, about native culture only being in the past versus the future. How do you feel he did? It seems like he's definitely trying to, to show that that, that that struggle that you're talking about. How, how do you all think he did with this book? I think he did a really good job. I think he bought he was able to um, put into words what a lot of urban Indians have been thinking um, and haven't been able necessarily to put into words, at least um, for his generation. I think that it's something that's been spoken of for a long time. Um, and in the Indian communities, especially around Detroit, Milwaukee, mm -hmm. Cleveland, and those areas. Um, but it's something that is that I think as a young man, he's speaking to his contemporaries. And it's important because they need to also understand um, that, that being urban Indian, that identity, it doesn't make you any less native, any less Indian than whether or not you were born on a reservation. And he even speaks to the point that it may make you more Indian, you know, because a reservation is less is less tied to who we truly are than, than being in a city, being... Because you know. it was created by the U.S. government, it, yeah. And it shows our resilience, you know. I, I think he, I agree. I think he did a great job with these characters. Um, and a lot of them, you know, we're, we're reading and, and relating and, and saying, oh, I, you know, so-and-so is just like that or whatever. And, and it's, it's a bit... I think there were a few times where it was a little emotional for me because yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember feeling this way. And, um, you know, I, and I think this for me happened with several of the characters and especially Orville when he was trying on his, um, this regalia that was hiding in the closet. Yeah, this is not something his family wanted him to do, right? Right. And, you know, he he was just uncomfortable, and he was like, you know, 
is is kind of questioning like is this what it feels to be Indian and um, that it didn't feel quite right and I remember going through that as a, a teenager you know um, having those feelings of like questioning my identity because I knew I was native but what did that mean mm -hmm. especially when I was in urban areas um, I didn't have um, the same traditional um, upbringing as some of my cousins still in Oklahoma. So what did that mean for me? So um, I think being able to see these characters and to see their struggles, um, it you know I could really relate. Um, Have you ever here. read another book where you felt like that? Like oh, this is that that's that sort of being seen connection. I mean, is, or is this a rare thing? I don't think in this way. Um, because I, I feel like for me, like I, I was, um, even looking at, um, I think Opal was, was talking about, um, have they, they had, um, Indian tacos for, you know, birthdays and, um, you know, that's something we do in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we grew up watching smoke signals and things like this. And these were things that, that my family, my immediate family and I connected to because of the Indianness. Mm -hmm. And I think we really tried to grasp at these things because we didn't, we weren't finding that elsewhere right. in our lives. And I feel, I kind of feel the same way about this book. Um, I haven't really felt this sort of connection and this sort of um, questioning of, of Native identity um, elsewhere. Yeah. What about you, Jerry? How did the book strike you? Were there characters you felt you really related to or moments in the book that you felt were really important? Um, I think the... Um, I related to... I, I think I could find something to relate to in all the characters, you know. And I believe... The, you know, the, you have um, substance abuse counselors or you have uh, mental health counselors or caseworkers or social workers, and we all have them in and, in and out of our lives. I was talking with some other individuals, um, some other natives not that long ago, and everyone either had caseworkers or social workers or children's workers or were in the system or were a part of the system or their sisters were in the system. Um, no one, there was no one who wasn't affected by the, the system in some way. And the system I'm speaking of is, you know, the foster care system or being removed from your home. Um, and so reading into this um, is that that really touched home with me. And also uh, with, the, the, with the issue with suicide as well. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, all our lives have been touched um, very personally by suicide. In our communities and in our families, April herself, myself, our, our, our organization. Um, and and it's, a big, it's a big issue. And to address that in the book where they talk about, you know, the building being on fire and our children are jumping out the windows. Yeah. You know, um, that's an, that's the most important statement I feel that's in the book. You know, and we have 
the statement that the, the building is on fire and our children are jumping out the windows. Right. And we keep asking, we keep trying to stop our children. We're like, don't jump out the windows. And we build, we build bigger nets to catch the kids and we board up the windows to keep them from jumping out. But we're not recognizing the fact that the building's on fire. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of that whole system. And... I mean, I feel like Orange was trying to, with the prologue, was trying to, to, make, to make a connection between past violence, past trauma, and how that reverberates through and causes the building to be on fire. That, that to me, felt like his point. Right. Um, was that, do you feel that that's correct, or are there other? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we, we are all impacted by historic trauma, and... Um, and I, a lot of what he is talking about, it, they're, they're things that, that we do go through. And it's, you know, depression, mental illness, alcoholism, um, you know, violence, um, and yeah, addic addiction, things like that. And these are, these are all, um, they stem from this trauma. It's intergenerational trauma that has been going on. And a lot of it's not that far in the past, yeah. you know, the, and these are things that, that we deal with. And, um, a lot, a lot of this stuff goes so much deeper than just, Hey, somebody has a mental illness, you know, this, this goes back generations and it does have to do with our skin color. It does have to do with our, um, you know, our, our genetics, our, this, these traumas have affected us and, you know, they, they continue to. Yeah, you read things, and it does go down through the generations, right? Because if, if a family member was taken away from their family to go to one of the uh, Indian schools, right, then those are then children that are separated from their family, and that breaks the storytelling and, and family history and identity. I mean, it's those sorts of things that cycle down, right? Right, absolutely. Um, you know, when we, when my grandmother went, went to boarding school, you know, she was not able to speak her language. They cut her hair. She couldn't do anything traditional. And she, she didn't speak about it. This was not something she spoke about. But that, that separation, not only does it, did it leave her, you know, torn from her family and from her culture? You know, that prevented her from be able, being able to connect with her own children. Right. You know, my, my mother and my auntie raised themselves. You know, she, had, she was locked in a room, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and had severe depression. Mm -hmm. And these are things that you know, have affected my siblings. This, this is, it just travels through the generations. And these are all things that are, the characters in the book are also dealing with, right? right. I mean, they're all, they're all struggling with these sorts of things. Um, storytelling, one of the characters in the book that I really related to because of what he wanted to do, the storytelling thing with Dean Ox and Dean and this idea that I'm going to capture people's stories, that that's something we've lost and I'm going to try to go back and, and capture stories. Um, can, what did you guys think of that character and, and the importance this book and, and that character in particular put on storytelling and the idea if we could just get 
if we could just get more of us talking together and send that out to the world, that maybe that would help in some way. I think it's really important. And in, in, in fact, um, our organization is working right now in, in trying to document and doing a lot of what Dean Oxendine was doing and trying to document those conversations with elders before they pass away, document those conversations with those important people in our community, in the native community and in the indigenous community and archive those and now especially because there are a lot of young people and they have something to offer the fact that they can they know how to use the recording equipment they know they're savvy in doing the podcast they're savvy in in youtube and all these other things and it's important right now for us to be able to document those things and work with other organizations and and create that space so that 20 years from now we can pull it off the shelves and we'll be able to discuss it you know, discuss that with people. Um, and, and I think speaking, I, I, I think speaking to the fact that what Dean is doing, I think technology both doomed us, but is also helping save us because we are able to communicate and tell those stories and sing those songs. Yeah, you're now, able, you've got a new method of connecting. Connecting more so than we did, you know, than, than we had before. And, and to be able to utilize all this technology that we have the access to now and use it in a way that helps us, con you know, communicate with um, kids in school in Cleveland and Minnesota, um, have our elders in, in Oregon speak to our elders in, in South Dakota. It's enabling us as a community and as a group to, to pull ourselves together. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I see, so I follow a lot of book folks on Twitter, and there's a whole community of Native librarians and authors and activists that are fighting really hard to make sure problematic books are taken out of schools and more representative books are put into schools and all the things you were talking about, April, as far as like educating the educators, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a whole there's a whole world there and they're all over the country it's been kind of interesting to watch and see and make the connections between people that's cool i think with the um with this book and with the educators we are having more contact from educators who are genuinely interested in giving us a platform to tell our story in the way that that we choose to say here's you know we're going to we're going to give you the microphone you tell us what you want us to know about you even in what you're doing with the podcast here today which is more so um the past 5 years than I've seen in the past 30 years um so many young people and young educators um are stepping up and asking those questions and asking us to speak instead of speak for us that's interesting um, I wanted to talk too about the city of Oakland. So Oakland, Oakland's kind of a character in and of itself in this book, right? They're traveling through Oakland. There's the big Oakland powwow. Um, there's some talk about like kind of gentrification and how the city's changing. And I was curious if you all saw any parallels between the Oakland in the book and greater Cincinnati, um, whether there was anything like the powwow here or I was just curious what your thoughts were. Well, I think, um, I think, one there's there is a huge similarity, and that's the gentrification. 
the difference between gentrification and colonialization isn't that big. You know, there isn't a whole lot of difference. You know, um, instead of putting people of color in reservations, they just redlined them and put them in certain neighborhoods so that they didn't have access to certain things. So that it's not that big a jump between uh, gentrification in, in Oakland versus gentrification in our community. Um, and to be able to recognize that that does happen, that gentrification is just another name for colonialization, for people who are entitled seeing something that they want and saying, oh, I, I desire this, um, so I'm going to build on top of your neighborhood, you know? Um, so the, that is an important, I, I think whether it's Oakland or Detroit or Minneapolis or any, or Cincinnati um, or Cleveland, that's a big conversation. But the, the thing about Oakland, Oakland has a lot because it, had a lot, it has a lar much larger native population than Cincinnati does. Cincinnati has a very small native community um, and is very transient, um, which is the same with a lot of native communities. However, on, on, a, on a micro level, I believe that there's a lot of similarities in what we're trying to do with powwows. I can... I worked with a powwow, putting on powwows in Dayton and putting on powwows... Uh, in other areas, and it is—it's very much like this. I mean, reading it in the book, the or, the organization and or lack of it, and, <laughs> and uh, I mean, powwows just happen. It's like any—you know—it's just mass chaos, and then it's there, and, and that's suddenly how, everything comes together. <laughs> and that's pretty much how most native projects. That—that's kind of the joke, inside joke between all of us is that yeah, I mean just chaos and then it's there and then you just kind of scratch your head you're like okay let's do it again next year <laughs> you know <laughs> so um one of the things actually i was hoping the two of you could talk about a little bit was the the way the book handled the differences in generations you've kind of hit on it a little bit already jerry you're talking about you know tommy orange is a young man i think he's not quite 30 yet or just just in his early 30s um but there's also then and there's characters his age or younger in the book, and then there's older folks, and they don't always seem to agree on what what being native means, or um, even amongst themselves sometimes there's not agreement. And I was curious if you guys could speak a little bit about that. I feel like a lot of the younger characters um, were being brought up by people who who didn't have the opportunity to, to share what they thought was Indian to, to the younger people. You know, they, they talked about that being a privilege, you know, so these young, young people are, are grasping at, um, you know, whatever comes their way that they feel might be Indian. They're kind of making it up. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're looking online, they're watching powwow videos, mm -hmm. um, you know, sneaking, sneaking around the house looking for, <laughs> for Indian stuff. And, um, you know, that, that desire for, um, for that na Native identity is, is there. And I think it is with all the generations, um, the young people just haven't had that, that privilege, I think. And I think a lot of it is you have... Um, this generation or the generation, the younger generation now, and they're looking for an identity. And I think in our, in the contemporary 
uh, society that everyone's looking for a label that identifies them, whether it's an illness or whether it's a, uh, uh, um, a, a gender or whether whatever it is, everyone's looking for labels. And our children and our young people have, have are looking for that label. They know that they have a label. Um, and they're trying to say, what is this label that we have that makes us an individual? Does every generation go through that? Is this, no. No. Okay. No. And the reason why is because our trauma was our label. What it's not, it's not for my generation being native didn't, being native didn't mean that I went to powwows or that I, or that I, um, um, or that I went to ceremonies, or that I wore a native baseball cap. That wasn't being native. Being native was surviving the trauma that we went through, surviving the racism, and the neighborhoods that we grew up in, surviving, you know, the abuse. And um, that was that's what made us Indian. Mm-hmm. Was, and and I think that's a part of that thought now is, you know, you don't. There's you, there's the good and the bad. There's more than that. Right. So the good the part more. is, yeah, powwows are great. Ceremonies are great. You know, but having, you know, people spit in your face because of the color of your skin or having people, you know, um, act in racist, racist ways to you, towards you. Um, that's a part of it, too. I don't, I can't, I can't take off the color of my skin and put it to the side and say, you know, today I'm, I'm going to be someone else. Through my lifetime, there's been a lot of, there has been a lot of racism and abuse, and I wear that. You know, I used to be embarrassed because of the color of my skin and the scars on my face and the number of teeth that I was missing, and that's how all all of that is a part of my story, you know, um, and all of that is a part of of who we are, um, and so it's important to know that. I was told when I was younger, I was told. Your children and your grandchildren can sing songs and tell stories about your ancestors. Or your children and your grandchildren can sing songs and tell stories about you. It's up to you on which one you want it to be. So that's what we're doing now is we're trying to create that space so that our children and our grandchildren, the the stories that they tell and the songs that they sing are about us. That's really moving. Um... I wanted to talk a little bit about the title. The idea is that there is no there, there, right? right? Um, how, how do you guys feel about that phrase? Is that an accurate statement about your your life and your identity here? I mean, that's certainly Tommy Orange's thesis for this this whole book, is that there is no there, there when it comes to, for Native culture. Well, I, I mean, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense, and um, I th- I think we have these ideas in our minds of of you know these fantasies of like what we're supposed to be and what um, what could be what we're fantasizing about doesn't necessarily exist. And and also, I mean, physically, like we're we're talking a lot about feelings and culture and all those things, but physically, like. 
there is no place sometimes. Right. Right. We were, like you mentioned, we were removed. Right. We were we were removed from my my people was removed from their homeland, and then they were removed removed from there. And and even April, you know, her family, they were removed. I mean, there is the areas that 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 we're called to. They um that that homeland areas they don't exist anymore. And, and so you're called to a place that isn't there. You're homesick for a place that no longer exists. Yeah. And even from a, a modern day perspective, you mentioned that oftentimes the native population is very transient, right? right so there's, right. there's that too. Um, well, no, I, yeah, I completely agree with what Jerry said. I think we do. There is, there is a, um, there is a homesickness that we have and there's pl- a place that my siblings and I, dream about that doesn't exist. It's not here anymore, um, but we know it did. Well, thank you both so much for talking with us today about this book. Um, Our listeners have another chance to hear from at least you, Jerry. April, will you be joining the panel discussion as well? Yes, I will be there. um, April 15th at the main library, we will be having a public book discussion and then a panel conversation about there, there, and with the Greater Cincinnati Native American Coalition. It's at 6.30 p.m. at the main library on April 15th, so I hope some folks can join us there. Um, I think it'll be a good conversation. Um, Again, thank you so much for joining us on The 12th Story. Thank you for having us. Um, To make sure you... To make sure you catch every episode, subscribe through iTunes or SoundCloud, and your good words are better than any advertisement. If you like what you heard, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile LIB. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Jerry Neary and April Hester. You can get more information about their organization, the Greater Cincinnati Native American Coalition, at gcnativeamericancoalition.com. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about and register for all of our upcoming events. You belong here.